Welcome to AMD Tech Talk, your source for the latest in data center innovation and insight on AMD's latest technology breakthroughs. Now here's your host, Dylan Larson. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AMD Tech Talk. I'm really excited today to bring um, someone to, to talk to us more about what's happening in the industry. And I think that's probably one of the things that's most exciting about this kind of the, this opportunity to engage around um, this tech talk, the, the idea of, of, of having more, more collaboration or conversations with, with industry leaders like my, my guest for today, Keith Townsend. Keith, can you tell me a little bit more about um, your, your focus and, and what you're doing with um, CTO Advisor? Yeah, so the CTO Advisor is, we're about a six-year-old firm now. Don't let the gray hair fool you if, you're, uh, if you could see this on okay. video. I'm a fairly sprite young man. We've been uh, focused on hybrid infrastructure, this idea that the enterprise is always the latest technology plus. So we'll get into the conversation around cloud and et cetera, but CIOs, CTOs really need to make sure they keep the eye on the past as well as keeping the eye on the future. That makes a lot of sense, Keith. It feels like we, we've, we've been in this, in this progression for a, a long time around sort of cloud becoming central to, to not just kind of the, the operations of kind of a traditional cloud-centric view, but also the way enterprises have embraced um, cloud as a, as a kind of part of their standard process, which is, I think is what you're saying. Yes, yeah, it's, it's no longer this edge use case. I think the latest couple of surveys I've seen put companies that's kind of all in and clouded around 20 to 24% of respondents so it is mainstream now. Uh, what's more interesting is that 75% of the respondents are cloud plus. And that, you think that path to hybrid, hybridization, I guess, as it were, of, of the cloud is just a standard part of, of the use of a traditional enterprise. They would, they would use the cloud because it has assets, assets or resources that they need to, to get their job up, John, I assume. Even as I look at our hybrid infrastructure here at the CTO advisor for our labs, there are use cases where I would much prefer to do some of our testing in a public cloud scenario, which I'm not spinning up resources from a people perspective to lay down the underlay, install OSs, all of this minutia that we have to sometimes do in the hybrid, in the data center portion of our lab. But then there are times where I need 512 gigabytes of RAM and it's way cheaper to do it in my uh, hybrid infrastructure sure. than it is in a private cloud or in the public cloud. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. And it, you, you kind of have to have the, the sort of foresight to right size, um, what you need to be done, uh, you know, whether you need much larger memory footprint or, or, you know, and when to place that workload, I guess, in the cloud and when to place it exactly. in, uh, in your on-premises infrastructure, I suppose. Keith, one of the things we've been talking a lot about, um, is the cost of doing nothing. And one of the things we've, we've looked a lot at, at what we've done with the most recent generation technology was really about massive performance improvements, um, with 
kind of new innovation in the in the microprocessor design and new innovation in the platform architectures that are going through. And we we said great performances is one thing. We've also added a lot um, of of a focus on reducing energy consumption, energy efficiency. And we started to step back and say, gosh, there is almost a cost of doing nothing. You know, if you if you continue on your legacy infrastructure and don't embrace new capabilities, whether they could be in the cloud or, or on new on-premises deployments, but this ability of of um, of making modernization a a focal point, because if you don't, um, at least the the, the hypothesis, you, you lose something. You don't be able to get. Uh, the full benefit of of the technology availability. Yeah, I think one of the things that has been a frustrating point in me helping the business see the value of modernization is that they lack to see the impact of power. And power is sometimes mm. a hidden cost in the enterprise. Facilities pays for it. It's not a direct bill to either IT or the business, but that cost can really be exaggerated when or emphasized when we consume our IT services via a cloud offering or even uh, within a colo data center. We see the real cost of power. And sure. moving from Gen 1 to Gen 2 to Gen 3 processors makes such a huge difference each step model. It's like talking to a, a sizable game, uh, video game provider just yesterday about this, how they regretted skipping a processor generation and waiting from Gen 1 to go to Gen 3 and how they lost, uh, in their estimate, maybe $50,000 a month and cost savings by waiting to go to the third gen because they're looking for that skip level bump. So even for companies that are going from gen one to three are missing out on sure. benefits of modernization when they go from one to two. And this is consistent even in the cloud. Like when I go from gen one processors to gen two processors and my VM configurations, I see a savings because of that density. So you see the savings very clearly um, because of this movement to a next generation architecture. Yeah, and we're not just talking about just those savings. We're talking yeah. about optimizations that the processor companies work with and the cloud native communities to get uh, better synergies at lower down the stack. And we missed out on those operational and uh, application development outcomes when we ignore modernizing our environments. That's so awesome. I, I, I've been kind of telling that story for a while of probably my, my entire career about the importance of modernization and, 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 and both internally when we kind of focus on next generation capabilities, the product, as well as kind of how we um, bring that value to, to, the, to the customer. It feels like it's such a powerful story, but it, it's, uh, it's one you, they got to manage that um, when they when they adopt the next generation technology, I think what you said is a really interesting story about um, a company deciding to wait and and what they missed out on. It, I hadn't heard it quantified in quite that way, but we've done a lot of internal models. But it's it's great to hear your perspective, kind of firsthand knowledge. Do you think that um, this trend to to kind of hybrid is, hybrid cloud is is uh, 
going to continue? Or, and do you think we'll still see places where um, the enterprise will make choices about on-premises infrastructure and, and uh, what they do with hybrid clouds? Yeah, this is the one thing that I know to be fact is that hybrid is the future. Yeah. Now, what does that mean? Hybrid is not a place. It is a operating model. Right. Let's look at our friends over at VMware and their VMware cloud solutions. They've taken this traditional on-premises model and brought it into the cloud providers. Sure. I can now rent an entire bare metal instance of VMware vSphere and oversubscribe it similar to how it do on-premises. Right. This would make this now makes the economics around solutions like SAP in the cloud a little bit better. Like when I need to lift and ship applications, I think that's the traditional kind of obvious view. Mm -hmm. And the pushback that I get from that is that those workloads start to become a smaller percentage of the overall footprint. Mm -hmm. But I remind people that there are born in the cloud companies that stacks are 10 years old. Let's think about that. <laughs> if you were born in the cloud 10 years ago, and you roll innovation for the next couple of years, your stack may be eight years old. You sound like a prime candidate for hybrid. <laughs> Literally, like you have to make the debate on whether or not you're going to take some, sure. some private gear, put an OS on it, and put Kubernetes on that, mm -hmm. and then uh, allow for those primitive cloud interfaces privately. Or if you're going to uh, invest the developer time and replatforming. For some companies, it's going to be worth the investment of yeah. developer resources. And for other companies, hybrid is the answer. So hybrid is the future. Whether that hybrid means that I'm going to be in a colo, a private data center, or have this VM-based uh, bare metal model in the public cloud, hybrid is the present and future. Makes sense. I think what you said about um, Kubernetes and, and this kind of cloud native evolution, and obviously what you said about the having, you know, software stacks that are you know eight, ten to eight to ten years old. Do you see um, the the capability in the enterprise or the capability of of kind of modern IT managers, modern development shops? are able to adopt that kind of container-based or the kind of cloud-native um, software models that um, that are kind of the, the maybe the key innovation areas, I think, for a lot of places we're seeing. Yeah, so we're seeing a realization that what's old is new again, and what's new is pretty much old yeah. stuff. Uh, microservices is not mm -hmm. a new concept. Neither are containerized sure. applications was just talking pre-recording how the cloud native folks are super excited about VMs. Like of all things, the lowly VM has become yeah. the thing again. <laughs> so less so about companies being able right. to adapt to the newer technologies to companies struggle. What I see the struggle at is companies mm -hmm. having to have to deal with all of it. So VMs haven't gone away. Containers right. have come along and both right. the open source community and ISVs such as VMware and Red Hat have made cons 
container adoption much, much simpler. I can go out and get a Tanzu or Red Hat OpenShift and have to go from one migration to another. Sure. The team that was doing my platform for VMware vSphere can now do my platform for Kubernetes and OpenShift. That, that talent gap has definitely mm. shrunk. Still, there's still a gap, but sure. it's definitely shrinking. That's awesome. Because it does feel like if there was an area that, that you know, be becoming well-established, I know what a VM is. I know how to provision it. I even know how to, to sort of manage the, the demand associated with the infrastructure. But then you add a Kubernetes container on top of that, that conversation. Is that sort of paving the way, it sounds like? Yeah, so how do we do what we've always done and leverage the skill that we have on premises because people are the most difficult part of change? Right. How do we take something familiar to them and then add net new technology? If we study leadership and we think about creating a, a culture of change and adoption to change, change doesn't mean constantly retooling yourself for the latest and greatest, but these slight adjustments sure. we have to make over time to our infrastructures. And I'm, what I'm seeing where companies are most successful uh, is when they can adopt to these micro changes versus you know, big swing changes. Yes, I can get everybody spun up to do a cloud migration one time, sure. but what happens when that next generation of technologies comes along? And I have to do another big shift? No, well, let's try and figure out these micro shifts. It's a really important observation. I, I, I really, really think that's such an important thing that I think we miss sometimes in the industry, which is we kind of assume the, the home run is what everybody should, should head towards. And that's part of it is because we're not kind of, sometimes in the industry, we're not in the trenches seeing the, the real operational considerations that have to happen. And, um, and so I really like what you said. It feels like there's probably something we as an industry, maybe vendor side, should be doing differently in how we engage the market. What, what, are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so we have to get out of the idea that speeds and feeds rules all. And it's really different. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm an engineer. I love 128 cores and six terabytes <laughs> of RAM per processor and all of these things. But what does that mean? If I'm into Firecracker, right. which is a VM technology, what does that mean for my ability to manage Firecracker? You know, we're getting out of the conversation sure. x86 is x86 to you know what is processor processor is 128 ARM cores equal to mm -hmm. 128 x86 cores. What does that mean for my development process, my CI/CD pipeline? What does that mean for my CI/CD pipeline? Like when I when there's a new processor or memory technology, how does that help me develop code? faster? How does that help me reduce the number of defects? How does that help me secure my data? These conversations, Matt, I handed to this earlier on. The cloud data folks are really excited around this concept of micro VMs because they've run into all of these challenges with running containers. If you ever had to do networking in containers, you get very frustrated. Because, you know, you got to do sidecars, you have to do EB, EBF, 
you have to do all of these things to make this basic concept work. Then there's security concerns, etc. So micro VMs have become all of the rage. If you look at what AMD is really, really good at, especially around Epic, it's a lot of CPU cores and a lot of memory. You know what? Go. You know what works well with CPU cores and memory? VMs. The more uh, memory you have, the more VMs, and the more CPU cores you have, the more VMs you can run. So before, where I would have two thousand containers. And all of these operational issues associated with con containers. Now I can replace that with 2000 VMs and still use my orchestration platform of choice, Kubernetes, to orchestrate the same applications. Uh, that's a gem. The, so kudos to AMD. Just like I said, modernizing sure. your infrastructure matters and getting that lower cost per processor or co 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 cost per wattage. How do I get to that same uh, formula cost savings across yep. my entire IT resource spectrum? So people, again, are my biggest resource. How is the latest and greatest technology helping me save on people cost or increase my productivity? And there's a storyline for a lot of that. When I'm talking to customers you know, and they say, oh, I have these Gen 1 processors. And they're getting the job done. And I'm like, well, you think they're getting the job done, but let's, you know, let's pour into some numbers of what would happen if you went to the second gen, third gen, or even fourth gen processor. <laughs> uh, how does that change your build times? How does that change the ability, the time right. spent on optimizing code for inefficient underlays? The industry can do a much better job of talking about that. It's a good point because it does come back to that sort of cost of doing nothing. If, if you just... So people are re just relying on their old installed infrastructure, paying the power cost or tax associated with that and not getting the productivity gains that, that you mentioned, sort of accelerating build times, for example, and not getting um, to a model that kind of puts their people in, in the most capable hands um, or most people, capable infrastructure to drive things forward. It's, it's really staggering what... Um, probably happens once you get customers, as you, as you advised, to dig a little deeper and to look at what's possible if they move to a next generation technology. Yep. I like to tell technologists, you're competing against the general manager of the factory floor. When he says he needs more forklifts, the CIO or CFO yep. intuitively understands that. When you say you need a new network sure. core switch and the CFO is still getting his email. He needs better context. He needs to know how that's going to get deliveries out the door more consistently and, and with a higher level of efficiency. That's, that's awesome. I, I think that that's an area of kind of think a lot about working on product launches or, or product positioning. We think a lot about context matters to your point. I, I think we, we as an industry probably need to do a better job of, of understanding how you tell that, that story of, of context and how you, you kind of bring um, the, the promise, the life around what the technology is. It makes, it makes everybody's job easier, I think, in some respects, because helping the, the people you advise 
make better decisions about where they invest their money and then the ultimate benefit of improved productivity or improved um, capability on the kind of infrastructure decisions that they are relying on. Exactly. Keith, this was awesome. I really appreciate um, your time and, and, uh, and your thoughtful um, perspectives on the industry. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited. This has been uh, one of my first external um, uh, podcast discussions and it just blew me away. So I really, really appreciate the time. I appreciate you folks having me on. Thanks for joining AMD Tech Talk. Find out more about the technologies discussed today at www.amd.com.